The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Well, we've been taking uh, the last number of weeks to dig deep into the Gospel of Mark in order to discover what it means to learn from Jesus, and not only just learn from Him, but how to live in light of Him. Uh, This is what we call uh, discipleship, and it's something that uh, as believers in Christ, we're going to be doing for the rest of our days here on earth. And uh, what we have found so far is that the message of Jesus is quite simple, but yet putting the rubber on the road can often be quite tricky. And in the last number of weeks, Jesus has taught us that we can do absolutely nothing uh, in our own strength and that we rely 100% on him and the power of his grace. Uh, He has taught us that if we want to follow him, if we want to be great in his eyes, then we must take our focus off of ourselves and live for others and live for the glory of God. Uh, We have also learned from Jesus that being part of a Christian community means that here at Emmanuel, we don't have a monopoly on uh, God's work here in the community and throughout the world. God is doing many different things in many different places for his glory and for the good of his people. Uh, He warned us that uh, he warned us of intense danger of uh, allowing someone else to fall into sin or ruining someone else's faith. And he also taught us of the, the necessity of being willing to cut out anything of our lives uh, that is sinful and keeps us from him and his love. And in the beginning of chapter 10, he took a strong stance against no-fault divorce. And last week, we were encouraged to return to our childhood by becoming weak and becoming helpless and depending 100% on the grace and mercy of Jesus. And every single one of these things is really, really uncomfortable. It's not comfortable to go out and be dependent on Jesus. But when our Lord draws us to himself, he is calling us out of our comfort and into the trust and security of him. And this morning, Jesus, as an overarching theme, is telling us that we need to be fully committed to Jesus. 100% of our lives need to be directed to him. And this is really hard because unlike when he taught us before about how we need to cut off sin, we can intellectually say, yeah, I get it, even though cutting off sin is very hard. Here, he's not talking about necessarily cutting out those sinful parts of our lives, but maybe those things that in our lives that are good in and of themselves, but are holding us back from our being fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Everything in life, even the good things, must be left behind or play second fiddle to Jesus. And so our passage today tells us that the gospel of God's grace requires a faith that is demonstrated by being willing to give up anything and everything for him. It's uh, attempting to radically reorient our loyalty, our treasure, our trust, our identity to be squarely focused on Jesus. And his words here may be a watershed for you as it was for this young man that we're going to look at today. So let's read the words of our Lord 
and then seek to love him because of it and then live out his directive. So in Mark chapter 10, starting in uh, verse um, 17, Mark 10. All right, here we are. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, Well, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. And Peter began telling him, Look, we've, we've left everything uh, and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now and at the age, and now at this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So if we want to be fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing that we need to do is go treasure hunting. We need to go treasure hunting. In verse 17, Jesus hits the road again. He's making his, his journey to Jerusalem when a man runs up to him, knelt down before him, and this man is unlike anyone else that we have seen up to the in the Gospels up to this point and probably will see anywhere else. Uh, this man, the text says, he ran. Now, this is a, a very important detail because Jewish men at this time didn't run. It was undignified for them. The people that ran, well, that was for children. And it's significant because it, it shows us that this man had an urgency by which he wanted to see the Lord Jesus Christ and take up his cause with him. And notice further, it also says that he knelt before him. And this tells us that this is no irreverent person. This is not someone that is flippant about Jesus, but yet someone that respects him as a teacher and as a leader within the community. So he reveres him as intelligent and, and wise teacher. Uh, verse 22 tells us that he was wealthy. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, it tells us that this man was young. In Matthew's account, it tells us that he was a ruler, which probably meant that he uh, was a ruler in the religious realm of the time. And so here we have a young man that's wealthy and a ruler, almost unheard of. 
because older uh, age, uh, age in that time was more significant as they, as they grew to maturity. And so not only is his social status odd, but he is the only person in the Gospels that asks Jesus bluntly the most important question that no one is asking. He says, teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a question that no one in our culture is asking anymore. To our modern sensibilities, if there is a heaven, the majority of people assume that they're going there uh, because of their perceived goodness. They will enter the pearly gates because they are a good person. Perhaps there are some people that, that may be a little confused and, and may ask or, or, or may state, I hope that I am good enough. But they leave it at that hope. And they don't take it to the next level of discovering what it is that they need in order to get there and be assured that one day it will be a reality so they can arrange their lives accordingly. But this man, he doesn't fit into this category. This is the kind of rare person that is totally unassuming. He is genuine and he wants to inherit eternal life and he wants to make sure that he is not missing anything. And if he is, he is going to go for it. And if Jesus is going to be coming to town, or leaving town that is, there's no better time than to get this right and ask Jesus what he has to say. And Jesus' response is totally unexpected. In verse 18, Jesus uh, wants to reorient this man's understanding as well as our understanding of what true greatness really is. He says... Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now some people get tripped up on this, but Jesus is not denying his own deity here. Rather what he is doing is he is entering into this man's understanding of who Jesus uh, is. And he is letting him know that there is absolutely no one in, on the face of the earth that is good except for God. This is backed up in Romans chapter 3. And if no one is good except God, then there is some introspection then that needs to happen on the part of this man and what he may need to do. If only God is good, then this man is nowhere close to that, just like everyone else. So Jesus continues in verse 19 to dismantle this man's understanding of goodness by appealing to the law. Notice he says, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, Jesus said this nearly 2,000 years ago. But isn't it interesting that here we are this far away from that, and yet our judgment of and standards of goodness are still based on this. Not murdering, not stealing, uh, not lying, uh, not uh, coveting. And here, uh, you may be here today and you may stand confident just like this man that maybe you've never killed anybody. You've never committed adultery. You, maybe you've never stolen or... You know, perhaps you were as honest as Abe Lincoln, maybe even more. You don't sinfully covet uh, things that aren't, aren't yours. 
And you would never do anything to shame or dishonor your parents because you, you absolutely love them. If that's you, that's awesome. You found good company with this particular individual. Verse 20, he said to Jesus, Teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Now, there's no reason to think that this man was being prideful. I don't think he was being arrogant and he wasn't trying to show Jesus. Well, if you want to see true greatness, then this is what it looks like. That There's no evidence to assume that's what he was saying. He simply wanted to make sure that he was on the right track to heaven. But it's not hard to imagine that his, his confidence is growing here. And ours would too if we looked at goodness only in terms of what we don't do. But if you're paying close attention to what Jesus said here, do you notice that the commands that he said to the, this young man were only six of the, uh, the Ten Commandments? There were four that Jesus missed here. And the ones that he did were all about uh, the horizontal dealings of this, of this young man with other people. Uh, the ones that affect human relationships. The ones that Jesus has not yet introduced are the ones that are more vertical in their nature. And they are not about actions. They're about the heart. And if this guy and any of us aren't getting this vertical relationship with God right, these horizontal things mean absolutely nothing. It's all about the heart. So Jesus now in verse 21, uh, Jesus says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. You notice he doesn't look at him in shame. He doesn't look at him in judgment or in ridicule, but in love. He said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. And then uh, you'll have, uh, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. This passage is not inherently about money. This passage, what Jesus has just said, is all about worship. It is about where our hearts are inclined toward. And though this man may externally be a really good guy, his peers would say, oh yeah, this is, this is my brother over here. He's great, man. I, I, I've never seen him do or say anything offensive or wrong. This guy's heart was not with God. It was with money. He had taken the first commandment, the commandment that says that we need to make God number one, and he has substituted money for that. He has taken the second commandment, which says we shall not bow down or worship other gods, and inverted that. Now money is his God that he is bowing down to. And thus, in the process of doing that, he defames God's good name, breaking the fourth, and not have his heart totally in, in worship of God, which goes against the, for, the fourth commandment of keeping holy the Sabbath day. For this man, wealth is a danger. For you, it might be politics. For you, it might be something with your family. For you, it might be overeating. 
For you, it might be popularity or social media clout. Perhaps it's a sport or entertainment or education or technology. Maybe it's a relationship that is spiritually dangerous for you. Maybe it's an identity. Maybe it is a sexuality. Maybe it's your work. Either way, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a few verses later, he says that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So many of us, in so many ways, invert our worship Where God might come in on a Sunday, but then for the rest of the week, our money, our relationships, whatever it is, take the priority in our lives. So when Jesus gives this man this imperative where he says, go sell everything that you have, give it all away, he wasn't saying that that was the norm for every believer. What he is saying is that the norm for every believer is that you will go treasure hunting. And some of us, our treasures are buried so deep down in our hearts that we need to dig and dig and dig until it's painful. And we find it. And we give it to Jesus. And every one of us, our treasures are different. This message was clearly communicated to this man. He understood much more than than most of us do. He knew that it meant everything must change. And that's why in verse 23... It says, he was dismayed. The Greek word there is like a, it's like a gloomy cloud on a, on a day that the thunderstorms are coming. That's his disposition. And he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So here's a man that had everything, but he couldn't buy the kingdom of God. He loved money truly more than Jesus. And he walked away in sorrow. And as he walked away, he walked away from the kingdom of God. And you will too if you don't treasure hunt in your heart and put Jesus on the throne of your life. The second thing here is that we need to trust in Jesus alone. Trust in Jesus alone. Jesus, his response to this, uh, in light of this man, is, is quite stunning. And in many ways, it goes against uh, how we think in the church about evangelism and compassion. Notice that Jesus doesn't do what, uh, what most of us would probably do. The man's walking away. Most of us would, would probably want to chase after him and say, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I, I really didn't mean what I said. Maybe you took it too far. Maybe, maybe you're not, you know, maybe these things aren't right, you know, but please don't go. Please, please. And we beg and we plead. And we want to sometimes even compromise because we love that person. We want them to know the Lord. But notice that Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? He lets him walk. Jesus does not chase after him. And while we can whittle it away and rationalize it so as not to think it is as radical as it is, or we can uh, make it apply to someone else in which maybe we'll leave the message today and say, man, I sure wish Johnny could have heard that message. This message would have been really good for him. And totally take the focus off of us. 
we need to see that Jesus lets the guy go. Jesus is not a desperate schoolgirl here that will do anything in order to get the guy to notice him. Jesus lays out the terms of engagement and he says, I love you and I want you to follow me, but it's got to be on my terms. I'm not going to change my standards for you. You either take it or you leave it. This is not rude. This is not condescending. It's not arrogant. Jesus has a mission that he needs to accomplish, and he simply doesn't have the time to chase people down who aren't going to give up his idols for him. So instead, he turns to his disciples. And in verse 23, he says, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. We might be tempted to say, I mean, come on. I mean, this is a good guy. Of course he's going to heaven. I mean, he, he, I saw him walking an old lady across the street the other day. He's practically a saint. And Jesus says it's not about what you do or you don't do. It's about where your heart is oriented. What is it inclined towards? Left to yourself, you lack the ability to change your heart. To put aside those idolatrous distractions and to follow Jesus. Verse 24, it says the disciples were astonished at his words. And, and they were beside themselves because they looked at people of wealth much in the same way that we do. Who are the ones that are influential in our culture right now? Who are the ones that have power? It's certainly not the weak and the poor ones. It's the celebrities who are making millions. You know, think about how many celebrities do you see that are telling us how to think about certain social issues right now. It's because we look at them as if they have clout because they've been in a movie. Now, I was, a couple of years ago, I saw this firsthand when I was watching a documentary on uh, post-Civil War industrialization. I, I need a life, yes. Um... And um, instead of interviewing college professors, you know, PhDs that actually know what they're talking about, they were interviewing celebrities. And I don't even know if I got all the way through it because I remember saying to myself, I really don't care what Sheryl Crow has to say about the beginnings of the steel industry. But for some reason, people think that those voices are authoritative and they're not it is a facade and in the disciples minds if a wealthy person someone that has all that power and all that 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 clout if they can't make it into the in, in, into heaven like what hope is there for the rest of us and that sentiment is further shown in verse 24 and Jesus replies saying children how hard it is, and you can back up the children to saying that you need to become like children. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there are some people that will try to shave down what Jesus is saying by saying, well, the word really isn't camel. It's really a rope because it's a sewing thing. No, the point is, is that Jesus is making a ridiculous illustration here to prove a point. Surprise to no one, I'm not much of a sewer. I can maybe sew a button on, but it might last maybe a few weeks. 
But I have tried to take one of those threads and, and put it through needles. And folks, that's hard. I don't know how some of you do it. I've tried getting the end wet and putting it through the hole and sometimes it just bunches and I can't get it in there. I even watched a YouTube clip one day and they have this little cool thing where you can rub your hand with a string. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'll just go right in the hole. I can't do it. It's super hard. And so when we look at what Jesus is saying here, if it's hard to get a thread through a needle, how much harder is it for a camel to get through that? They can't. That's the point. Jesus here is saying it is impossible to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It can't happen. And he says it's easier for that to happen than for a wealthy person. To make it into heaven on, them, on their own. Verse 26 says, The disciples were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? You see, they're banking their salvation again on their own goodness. And Jesus is simply saying, If you think that you can get into the kingdom of heaven based on your goodness, based on your pedigree, based on your wealth or your relationships, Good luck with that. Jesus summarized it in verse 27 when he says, With man it is impossible. And those words are devastating to those who are living in self-righteousness. And we can be just as dejected here as this, this rich young man here and the disciples unless we hear the life giving statement that Jesus breathes after he says, with man it is impossible. He says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. It's a veiled expression of the gospel. God's salvation freely given in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Whereas we're not able to purchase or earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus and his person and work on our behalf through his death and through his resurrection gave us that salvation. They were looking toward it. We are now looking back on it. So understand what Jesus is saying here because this is so important. In fact, it is uh, it, it will make the difference between life and death. You are not the means of your salvation. Over and over again, the Bible says that salvation belongs to who? Anybody? The Lord. Salvation belongs to our God. We try to find life in so many other things. But every single one of them is going to lead to a dead-end road. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus delivers us from our sin and our bondage to the things of this world. So when he says that all things are possible with God, what he is saying is what is impossible with us. Salvation is possible only in God. So stop trusting in these things that won't deliver and start trusting in the one that truly will, Jesus Christ. And third and finally, consider the reward. Consider the reward. 
Peter's response in verse 28. I, I, I love his response. Uh, he just heard this life-giving news. Uh, and it, it's evident that it doesn't even land on him. This rich young ruler just ran off sad. And Jesus just said, well, you know, uh, wealthy can't get into the kingdom of heaven. And what does Peter say right away? Look, Jesus, look at us. I mean, hey, we did. We left everything for you, you know. Take your eyes off him and look at us. I mean, we did this. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him, but he does ex explain the exchange here of what it means to give up things for him. In verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields. Notice he doesn't say spouse. I found that really interesting. Uh, for my sake in the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. So let's, let's, let's push pause here for just a second. Because I, I wrestled with this uh, passage more this week than I have in other weeks. In fact, Dave and I at lunch the other day were talking about what this actually uh, means. Because Jesus here, in his interaction with this young ruler, says that the gospel requires something. That there's something that this guy needs to do. And there's an exchange of sort. Jesus says, go, sell everything, give to the poor, and then come follow me. So what is the, what is the uh, relationship then between the action, the, the work, and the, the faith... ...that we need to have in order to be saved. Is he talking about a works righteousness here? That if we do these things, then we earn our way into heaven. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer was perhaps the, the most helpful in understanding this one... Uh, ...in his book, In the Cost of Discipleship. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He, he puts a hypothetical situation. He says, imagine that this, this young ruler is at home... And he is sitting at his kitchen table, and he takes all of his wealth, everything that he owns, and he puts it on the table, and, and he sees the piles of money, and he sees the really expensive boats and all the, 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 the deeds to his, his cabin and, and everything else that he has. And he's, he's staring at that, and he's thinking, okay, so it's either this or Jesus, and he's really quite perplexed because he has to give up one. He can't serve both of them. And so the question is, if this man says, I'm done with this money, is that an act of works? Or is it indicative of faith? And Diedrich Bonhoeffer makes the point of, no, this is indicative of a display of faith. Because what this man is doing is not doing this in order to gain the kingdom of heaven. But if he were to say, get rid of this all, I don't want anything, he is then also saying, I am going to trust that as I give away everything that Jesus is going to take care of me. And there's no greater faith that we can have than stepping out in faith where we don't even know if there's a platform in front of us trusting that Jesus is going to be with us. So it's a display about what's true in this man's heart. And so when we give up everything that is dear to us, even our lives, uh, for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, we then essentially are saying, Jesus, I, I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to go ahead and do this because you said so. And I'm going to hold you to your word. And so then he says again in verse 29 fully, he says, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or mothers or, or sisters or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. And notice the temporal nature of this here. The reward of faith is not something that we need to wait for and just struggle through life in order to get it. Jesus says that we gain a hundredfold now at this time and in the age to come. Again, don't misunderstand Jesus. He is not promising us stuff. This isn't a prosperity gospel. He is saying that if we give up our lives for his sake... We are getting something greater. We are getting Jesus. And we're getting more of him every single day. The more we step out. And the more that we trust. And the more that we give. And the more we lean on him. We get Jesus and increasingly so. So I can understand that this is both good news and difficult news. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. And that's where this is very hard. Giving up things that we hold dear for the sake of Jesus is hard. It is, uh, it is very scary to walk in faith and trust Jesus. Not knowing what he might bring into your life. But he is promising that he will provide your security. He will provide your life. And he will give you joy now and in the age to come. So go treasure hunting. Trust in Jesus alone and enjoy Jesus today and for the rest of eternity. Let's pray.